everybody, this is Nathan here with Jake, and you're about to listen to what we call Sound of Sanity 1.0. Now, Jake, what do we mean when we say Sanity 1.0? Well, Sound of Sanity was a show we'd been wanting to do for a really long time, and we'd never really seen our way clear to getting it off the ground. Right, so one day we decided the best way to get it off the ground was just to sit down, hit record, three friends talking into microphones. Since that time, the show has changed and grown a whole lot. The modern version of Sound of Sanity really began to develop around episode 34 on Jordan B. Peterson. Yeah, there's some stuff we're really proud of in this early iteration of this show and some stuff we're possibly, probably, maybe not so proud of. But there's some good stuff and we wanted to leave these up. Plus, we thought it'd be fun for people who know the current show to go back and see how far the show's come. Yeah, fun and maybe sometimes a little humbling. No doubt. Anyway, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the current version of the show. That's right. And meanwhile, please enjoy this episode from the archives. You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let The sound of sanity and Merry Christmas to all our listeners. It's Christmas week and we are welcoming you to Sound of Sanity. I, of course, am your humble and obedient host, Nathan Alberson, and I am joined as always by the pastor himself, a man who knows how to celebrate Christmas if ever anyone possessed the knowledge. <laughs> pastor Jacob Benzel, how are you doing, Jake? Oh, I'm doing very. I'm, can I say I'm doing merrily? I'm doing merrily. Maybe is that is that the right way to? Yeah, you're. <laughs> so, I'm doing merrily. I'm a merry man today. He's a merry man. He's a good Christian man, That's and right. he's rejoicing. This this week, uh, CEO stands for Christmas. E ah evergreen always. Uh, oh. And we've also got oh, so oh, over there. Oh, always what? doesn't start with O. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you make a fair point. Oh, we've also got the uh, uh, production assistant over there, Benjamin Solzer, turning the knobs and dials. How you doing today, Ben? Oh, pretty good, Nathan. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Thank you. You and, too. And a happy holiday season. Yes. And a happy new year. Yeah. Well, although we may talk again before then. Uh, mm. Today, guys, we're talking about Christmas and Sound of Sanity. We've already staked our claim several episodes. We've been doing kind of a little run on the season of Christmas uh, this December. And we have already said we are a pro-Christmas podcast. Right? True. We like Christmas. It's good. We don't have any... We should be celebrating it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, you know, how you celebrate it and what you do and... You know, there's some things to decide and to think about. We've already talked about some of them. But point is, we don't have any sort of anti-Christmas. Well, if you looked at... We don't have anything like that up our sleeve. We love Christmas, right? That's right. But there's a problem. And we want to deal with it, that, deal with it today in our final Christmas episode before Christmas. So what's the problem, Jake? The problem is Christmas is still here and it's still upon us. And no matter what we say about how good it is or how much it should be celebrated, it remains a point of 
tension and pressure on all kinds of people across the country for all kinds of reasons. Right. Don't want to be uh, cliched about it, but we we live in a broken world. True or false? (laughs) True. We live in a broken world. A broken world full of broken homes and places where Christmas is never going to be the pretty picturesque Norman Rockwell painting or the super sweet 1950s Bing Crosby idealistic thing that we want it to be or whatever it is that you see when you turn on the Hallmark Channel. Yeah, I think for many of us, there's no, certainly for me, and I think probably for many of our listeners, there's no place where you feel the tension between the ideals of what this thing is supposed to be, of what something is supposed to be, and the reality of your own life, maybe more than Christmas. You're stuck with your broken family. The cookies get burnt. Bulbs go out. You got the stupid strand of bulbs that where the whole strand goes out if one bulb. They still make those? Yep. Oh, brother. I don't know. It's the year 2017, and we still got those bulbs. The ham is... uh, you know, it doesn't work. The You're going to end up at dry. a Chinese restaurant being racist, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that stupid movie, A Christmas Story, is playing 24-7. Your relatives aren't nice. And, you know, I mean, it's difficult because it's supposed to be a time of family and togetherness. And it's supposed to be a time where we're celebrating the greatest thing that ever happened, our, our Savior, God himself coming into the world. It just doesn't always feel that way. Yeah. What do you do with the pressure, with the expectations, with the imperfections of Christmas? Having Christmas in a broken world. How do you have Christmas in a broken world? How do you stay sane when having Christmas in a broken world? That's That's the the question. That's the question. And we're going to answer it. Let's talk, guys, about Christmas baggage, the actual baggage that we're going to bring to Christmas. Ben, now let's be Mm. honest. What, 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 what baggage do you bring to the holiday of, of Christmas? We're talking today about Christmas in a broken world. You've lived Christmas now mm. for many a year in a broken world. What's that been like for you? Well, let's see. I have a lot of good family memories of Christmas, Nathan. Just like what, like we talked about way back in our Thanksgiving episode, uh, <laughs> hang out with cousins and family members. and So your Christmas has just been one, one tinsel-laden path of Christmas happiness and bliss. Pretty much. Well, then, except that when I was a, maybe, I don't remember how old, but at least once I became a teenager, I started feeling kind of hollow about Christmas, getting more sense every year of my sin. And even though I was a professed Christian, I who knows if I really was a Christian? I know that I felt, I don't know. I felt lots of lots of guilt and shame, and I didn't really know what to do with it. Things got the worst they'd ever been after my mom and dad separated. We were decorating the tree at our house, mainly my sister and I decorating it. Our dad wasn't there. Um, our dad had, had gone off to live by himself for a while, and later, later he and my mom would end up divorcing, and we were all really unhappy. And I was I was depressed, and I was mad, and my sister was depressed, and she was mad. And how, we old is, to, how old are you and your sister in this? Uh... Oh, I think we would have been it was 17. I would have been 17 or 18, and so she would have been 17 or 16. So she's a year and a half younger. You were depressed and mad. and it Depressed was and mad, and yeah, and, 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 the, and the tension between our parents was coming out in ways we didn't even understand in our own hearts and maybe uncovering things that like dynamics in our family that we had been unaware of that were that had always always been there but now they were expressing themselves and uh, my sister Claire and I didn't know really what to do with this but we were certainly mad at each other um, and we just we just we fought we had a nasty fight trying to hang ornaments up on the tree and then later on maybe that same that same evening 
I had reached my limit on some point, and I said, I said to my sister, I was yelling at her, and I, she was yelling at me, and I said, the Lord rebuke you, <laughs> which is not something that you normally get to say to your sibling, and it's kind of satisfying, and, and then she slapped me hard, which <laughs> is a pretty fair response. <laughs> I guess we later on we had Christmas and stuff and it was it was kind of awful and we spent part of it with my mom and part of it with my dad and then you know after they divorced we got used to spending Christmas we are always spending Christmas maybe on separate days with each of them now Christmas is a lot better but it went we went through a lot of pain to get there a lot of a lot of stuff a lot of crap where my my sister and I had to learn how to love one another in the context of a broken family where we had where she and I you know had had not loved one another well, and especially I hadn't been a good older brother to her. It took a while. But you're there, and are you looking forward to Christmas this, this week? Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll split the time like I always do. One set of parents lives in Mississippi, the other set in Tennessee. I'll go to both places, about a few days one place, a few days the other. Yeah, it'll be good. Well, there you go. The Christmas baggage of Benjamin Solzer. He rebuked his sister. <laughs> and a cathartic Christmas it was. <laughs> My Christmas baggage is actually pretty similar. My parents divorced, I think, around the time, my late teenage years, I want to say. I don't remember exactly what the year was, but I would have been 17, 18, 19, something like that. So I did grow up with one complete family unit, but there was a lot of tension, family tension. And I remember souring on Christmas pretty early. I I became a cynical Christmas curmudgeon, I think, around the age that probably a lot of teenagers become cynical curmudgeons. And I was very much the, the stereotypical teenager who's seen too much of life and therefore become a little cynical adult way too early. It's very strange for me to this day when I see 12 or 13-year-olds or 14-year-olds that still somehow have the sweetness uh, and innocence of childhood, because I just don't remember that being a possibility. A lot of it was sin on my part. Apart, I'm not saying I'm just the victim here, but I mean, in many ways, I was just a rotten, stupid, cynical teenager, as so many teenagers are. But I don't remember ever really having the possibility of having the kind of innocence and sweetness that I see some young teenagers have in our church. Um, and I see other young teenagers that definitely are more like I was. But, you know, sometimes I see different families and it's just weird for me, like, oh, you can still actually look forward to Christmas at the age of 14. That's weird. I wouldn't have thought that that would be possible because I certainly didn't. I became very sour on the whole thing. I, 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 I prided myself on how I, I understood my own sin and the depravity of, of myself and of my parents and of my dad and my mom. And I was the guy, you know, that would have made fun of all the Bing Crosby stuff, all the Christmas trees and the tinsel. And, you know, isn't this silly? This is all just a hypocritical charade that we're engaging in to tinsel over the fact that actually we don't really like each other and this world is broken. And yeah, I believe in some sense that God sent his only begotten son to die. But the fact that we're all celebrating it by going to Walmart and buying a bunch of cheap junk for each other and wrapping it up is really kind of pretty pointless. And I've come back around for the most part. Christmas is not something that I enjoy to this day, but I've learned to love it, I think, because the last couple episodes I've been talking about how much I love Christmas. I also feel a lot of Christmas tension. Both things are inside of me, okay? Uh, like last Christmas day, 
I don't, I think I worked and I made a point of being available to work and we didn't really do much. You know, my dad was out of the picture that so we may have uh, exchanged some gifts among the immediate family, but there really wasn't much. And it's always kind of a sad day where I try and be thankful for all the good things that God's given me, but I'm also very conscious of the things that I don't have and the way that my family is broken. You know, maybe one day I'll get married and I'll have kids and I'll be able to experience the magic of Christmas through through them. But I can't even say that without a little bit of a, a sneer, which is probably wicked. But you heard the sneer. Probably won't edit it out because... <laughs> <laughs> That's that'll tell you. I feel I, yeah. I still feel some real tension about it. You know, Christmas it just does bring up all this stuff. Like my family isn't okay, and God's been so kind to give me good fathers in the faith, but my own dad is it doesn't happen to really be one of them, and uh, that's like really sad, and it's particularly sad around Christmas time. So that's my Christmas uh, little Santa's bag of wonderment. There. What about you, Jake? <laughs> Not quite sure where to start. Christmas was something that I always looked forward to and loved. We, in the house I grew up in, we each had our own private Christmas tree for our, our rooms and our own set of ornaments. We get ornaments every year. We had our own trains that we'd set up around our little trees. And I'm, uh, trees, they're smaller trees for our bedrooms, three, four foot tall trees or something like that. You know, day after Thanksgiving, we set up our trees in our own room and decorate our own rooms, bedrooms, and then you know, get our train running with liquid smoke and we'd decorate the tree downstairs together. And uh, that was a lot of fun. On Christmas Eve, we would always go to a candlelight service, come home, and my dad would read, Twas the Night Before Christmas, tuck us in bed. We'd go to bed and wake up the next day and have Christmas, unless that was the year that we were supposed to sp actually spend Christmas Eve with my mom. And then we'd get home from the Christmas Eve service and she would probably already be out there waiting for us. And we'd all be feeling the pressure and tension of going to our moms and dad. My uh, dad remarried. I have a stepbrother. So he was going to go to his dad's house. I was going to go to my mom's house with my brother. It just was awful. Like the tension that you were and pressure that you were, we, we were under. And then on, th on Christmas day, it was wake up wherever we were, rush through presents. And then we had, no matter where we started the day, we had my dad's house, uh, my mom's house, uh, my mom's parents, my dad's parents, and my stepmom's parents. Keeping count, that's five places. They that's five hit. places, and we had to pack them all into Christmas Day because nobody was willing to compromise and take a different day. Ugh. And so that was our Christmas Day was just going from place to place to place to place to place with pressures of, why are you late? Why aren't you here? And all of those pressures falling on my brother and I of everybody's frustrations with all of their Christmas expectations being perfect, which they ruined for themselves one way or another years ago, being taken out on us. And that's maybe a little unfair to say, but certainly how we felt. Uh, I think for all three of us, as we talk about our baggage, we're not trying to throw any of our parents under the bus. We're just describing no. the way it felt, yeah, for better and, or for worse. And when you're a kid, your perceptions are different from reality. When you're a divorced kid, a kid from a divorced home, there, there are certain realities. There are ways that it's never about you, but you don't know that when you're a kid. Right. Because so much is wrapped up in all of that. It's hard for people to see what's really going on. I know it was hard. I know it was hard for my, my mom and my dad and my stepmom. And I have a lot of gratitude for the ways that they try to negotiate some of those things, but it was hard. Uh, my parents divorced when I was six. This, this was pretty much my life growing up. My dad remarried when I was eight or nine, something like that. 
So that was my life and jealousies over who got the most time, when, where, and why, and uh, who was going to be the one to get the cool gift that I wanted to me first because they weren't going to coordinate over who was buying what and who was going to have to take it back. I don't know if it was ever that explicit, but it sure felt that way. Again, just my perception as a kid. Then I got married and I added more families. And we've since been able to set up some good parameters and boundaries. And everybody has grown more understanding over time too, and more willing to be flexible with each other. Time can do that. And so can grandkids. We now, we celebrate, we live an hour and a half away from all of our family minimum. And uh, we celebrate Christmas Eve here and Christmas morning, and then we drive home. And this year is actually going to be different than it's ever been for us and I'm still, because when we're, we're talking about this now, I'm still not sure how it's going to shake out because all of our family did live in Evansville, Indiana, and Amanda's family recently moved to Kentucky. Not quite sure what it's going to look like even this year. It's going to require more flexibility of everybody, and hopefully it won't, it won't be so bad. For better and for worse, as far as the pressures on us as years have gone by, we have fewer family members to visit with, which is a sad thing that is part of every, every Christmas but it also means, you know, life is getting a little simpler. Not that I take that that trade, but it is part of the reality that we face. So, and have you found? Um, I couldn't say it without a sneer, but the idea that you can recapture a little bit of something by uh, living it through your kids and by uh, oh yeah, of... yeah, absolutely. I I'm not sure that I would put it living it through my kids, but being able to just give them something that you didn't give them have. something I never had, yeah growing up is something I take a lot of pleasure in. I love, I'm going to cry. I'm sorry. (laughs) I love that we can, as a family, uh, go to Christmas Eve service and come home and stay home and wake up in the morning as a family and take our time and have breakfast and uh, open presents together and uh, decide when we're going to leave. And they don't have any of that, don't have any of that baggage and uh, they're not gonna. And uh, it's a really sweet and wonderful thing for me. <sighs> Good. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> well, okay. So I wanted to get that baggage out of the We often get our baggage out of the way early, but I thought it was particularly important for this episode because we all, all three of us, come from um, broken situations. It's difficult, and God's grace does uh, shine through it, but it can be difficult. So, well, Ben, <laughs> you've you've looked up some Christmas facts for us. So wow. Give us just the facts, ma'am. Ho, 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 Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> he is Santa Claus after all, Nathan. <laughs> I'm here to tell you about... Divorce and suicide and alcohol abuse. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Uh, well, I know, I've, I know, I know the the thing that you hear, which is that suicide rate goes way up, and uh, whatever the opposite of plummet is, it goes way up during <laughs> Christmas time, and people are skyrockets, uh, skyrockets. That's what the uh, people uh, crawl into, crawl into a bottle, and they don't crawl out until February or so, and then Valentine's Day comes, so they gotta crawl into another bottle for that, and then. Well, uh, yeah. Basically, these people are just alcoholics for that. Uh, okay, so what's the facts, Ben, about Christmas brokenness in the world today? Well, what statnews.com says, Nathan, is that we have data from 99 to 2013 that says that oh, the suicide rate really, really goes way down during Christmas. 
Is it really? Yeah, it really goes way down, and it's like just a myth that's constantly perpetuated that it goes up. It's perpetuated. Perpetuated. (laughs) But there is some evidence that it rebounds in January. So even in January, it's not the highest of the year. So what Cynical Nathan would say to that is everyone does manage to hypocritically tinsel over it with, you know, some eggnog and everything, and then... You know, come January, they they're still stuck with their own <laughs> sinful nature and brokenness, and that could be that could be. I mean, yeah, yeah. You have you have the idea. Maybe it's because oh, we've got to get through this for the sake of the family and for the sake of our image, and then oh, when you're finally done with the stress of the holiday season, you just give up. So maybe that's it. I don't know. And there's certainly, I mean, I couldn't really find statistics on drug and alcohol abuse, but everyone says it goes up. It goes up, and that that makes sense to me. I mean. If you're with a bunch of family and you have to deal with them and you have to deal with all the tensions of who's who's making the cookies and who's making the casserole and why didn't you why why did you get me this these socks and you know you're going to want to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I can bear witness to that. <laughs> um, socks. <laughs> Certainly my personal experience has been for myself and for my family and for my friends and for all my loved ones drinking goes up during the holiday season yeah. quite a bit. Well see this is annoying too because you have all these claims but i can't <laughs> there's there some website that no longer exists called e-divorce something e-divorcepapers.com it's not around anymore but everyone everyone writes articles saying according to statistics from this website january is divorce month and so that's that's such a common place on the web that i guess it's true january is divorce month right after the christmas season after new year's Couples are getting divorced, so I, maybe it's the same kind of thing uh, that, we, that we would say about the suicide rebound, suicide rate rebound. They managed to hold it together they for the kids together, through Christmas. And then they let it go. And the other weird thing, which I had no idea of, is that Christmas and then especially New Year's is the deadliest time of the year. So just in terms of people dying, and this is, this is actually the most, this is the most legit thing I've said so far because you can go verify it. You can go to the CDC's database called the Wonder Database, look up death rates, and it's a significant spike of deaths. And there's not a good explanation for it. It's not because of weather. It doesn't appear. We're not talking suicides here. We're just talking deaths, any kind of death. Not just, talking alcohol-related no, accidents. Or... No, no. If, if, you, if you take out drug and alcohol stuff, you still get a giant spike. Hmm. So it's like something I, no one is drawing firm conclusions about that yet. But there it is. So why is that? What's, what's going on? I mean, is that, is that holiday stress? Is that one researcher said, well, maybe it's because you're at the party with your family. You feel this little flutter in your heart and you're like, I'm just going to wait a little bit to deal with this. And then you die. Hmm. I don't know. But either way, Christmas is a deadly time. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and fascinating that no one's been able to make a really positive, strong correlation with anything in particular. Yeah. Well, there's you go, folks. Them's the facts. What do we want to say? How do we celebrate Christmas, or do we celebrate Christmas, Jake, in a broken world? We definitely celebrate Christmas in a world that's broken because Christmas is about healing a broken world. What we don't do is close our eyes and click our heels together and lick our lollipops and pretend like the world doesn't need saving and that there's not sin to be dealt with. And what we don't do is say, oh, crap, there's sin in the world. We can't celebrate the gift of a Savior to save us and the world from sin. (laughs) What we do is we, we look at the world and the realities of our lives honestly, and we look at the fact that God sent his son into the world as a little baby 
to be born in a barn and to spend his whole life suffering and dealing with all kinds of worse things than we've ever gone through on our behalf and to carry our sin in his body on the tree and to die for us and to die for uh, the redemption of the world. And so the, it's natural for us to want to pervert that and twist it up into knots and get twisted up in knots about it because we are sinners and we do sinful things. But the reality is Christmas is the answer. Like the real story of Christmas is the answer to the problem of Christmas that we set up for ourselves and that we create for ourselves. Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose again. The world will be redeemed. It really is the pro- the answer to the problem of burnt pudding is Jesus Christ. Like one day we will live on in a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know how pudding works there, but you <laughs> Jesus know what probably I mean? had burnt pudding in his life. Right? <laughs> yeah, he knows what it's like. To, he knows what it's like to have disappointments and and letdowns, and for things to for the cookies to not come out right, and for the world to be full of real sin, and even to have family drama. He came so that we could chill out and repent of our sins and grow in godliness laugh at ourselves for taking it all so seriously. Well, there you go. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, Ben. Oh, thanks, Nathan. Merry Christmas, Jake. Merry Christmas, Nathan. And to all our listeners, bum, 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 we wish wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. And a Happy I wasn't going to go off this time. Yeah, oh, that stupid devil's advocacy alarm. And of course, folks, if you don't know, if this is your first time listening, the DAA, it's the devil's advocacy alarm. It means that somebody has to, some Grinch-like person <laughs> has to argue for the opposite uh, of what uh, we've just been saying. Ben, you going you gonna to do it? Me? I mean, I don't know. Uh... Jake, you want to... I don't know. I don't feel. I mean, I'm. I'm not sure I'm the guy for this one. Who do you think should? Uh, I. I. I kind of think that should be you this time, Nathan. <sighs> yeah. You were the one who did sneer earlier. I did sneer <laughs> yeah. earlier. All right. I'll give it a shot. I'll take my. I'll take my inner Scrooge. I'll, I'll let it off its chain. We'll see what happens. I hope you guys are strong enough to defeat it, though. All right. First of all, side point, Jake. Yeah. I feel so. <laughs> yep. Incredibly terrible for you <laughs> that you had different sets of family fighting to see who could give you your Xbox first. <laughs> <laughs> Boo-hoo, white boy. <laughs> Tell me about a, uh, a white Christmas. <laughs> Someone sure celebrated a white Christmas every year. <laughs> yep. You got me. Uh, yeah, I feel real bad for all of us. We uh, lived in the richest country in the world, and uh, we yep. had uh, yep. presents and lights and rich food and alcohol and things that many people across time and space would have killed for uh did kill for and uh that affluence has allowed our country to become lazy and there's sins that our country have like no fault divorce and uh, some of that stuff caused you jake a, a little bit of pain and nathan some pain and ben some but a pain. whole lot of self-pity but and, and it also a whole lot of self-pity <laughs> is what i'm hearing i mean oh 
You're you're so happy now that you can give your kids the Christmas that you never had. Yeah. You, oh, yep. oh, you poor darling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got me. <laughs> I mean, come on. Let's really think about this. Let's 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 get out of ourselves a little bit, guys. Three point one million children die of hunger every year. Three point one million children die of hunger every year. Now, I'm not a statistician, not very good at math, but uh, that means that this December 25th, there are going to be a few thousand children that will die, not because sovereignty or fate or whatever you want to call it was, was against them, not because they got cancer, not because they were in a terrible accident, but simply because we live in a world where some people make and consume and waste a whole lot of food, and some people have so little that their children, their bodies shut down and they die because they're not fed. All those things that you took for granted, going from house to house to house, (laughs) your five houses, poor you, there's people that die because they didn't have five warm houses with rich food to go to. So you've got that, but but we'll let's bring it back home. Let's forget about, you know, the third world countries and everything. Let's just keep it in sort of our class, our place, the kinds of people that are listening to this podcast. What kind of things are they actually going to be dealing this with this year? Well, I'll tell you one thing that happens, just as a random example. There's there's going to be a uh, girl that comes back from college and has the pressure of seeing her boyfriend and all the family pressures and everything and drinking and parties and uh, mistakes happen. Little Christmas babies are conceived in this wonderful country. Those babies are uh, taken to a place where doctors kill them. And I don't mean to be cruel or crass about it, but that's, that's one of the things that's going to happen. There will be Christmas babies conceived this Christmas that will not be wrapped in swaddling clothes, but will be discarded like garbage. So that's going to happen this Christmas. And let's think about the, the, the little teenage girl this Christmas Eve who's, uh, you know, she might be 15, she might be 14, she might be nine. She'll be laying in bed. She'll hear a creak on the stairs. Is it Santa Claus that's going to come staggering into her room? No. It'll be her uncle, or her grandfather, or her father. And this time his breath will smell like eggnog instead of just Budweiser. What this girl would really like for Christmas is for someone, anyone, anyone at all in her life, to tell her that she is a human being made in God's image with dignity and not just a thing to be used for someone's pleasure. That's the gift that she'd like for Christmas is for anyone to say, just say that, just whisper that in her ear. But we don't always, we don't always get what we want for Christmas, do we? So that's, that's actually the world that we live in. It's a wicked, corrupt, depraved, awful world. And I'm not advocating nihilism. I understand that God did send his son to die, to redeem the world. But that means that we have work to do. And all this month of feasting, I mean, you think about Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. He said in Ecclesiastes, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. 
Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And then you think about the Apostle James, and he said, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched. This is a command of Scripture. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then you have all through the epistles, the Apostle Paul saying, Be sober-minded, be sober-minded, be sober-minded, be watchful, be sober-minded. And you have Jesus Christ, our Savior, saying, take up your cross. So when we think about all that, when we think about the death in the world, when we think about the depravity in the world and the darkness in the world, and then we think about the holiness of God, the greatness of our Savior, and the cross that he bore for our justification and the cross that we bear for our sanctification, when you really, really look at it and you stop believing the lies of, you know, that guy telling us that we can have our best life now and Walmart telling us that if we just buy some things, we can have a happy Christmas. What can we do but be sober-minded and get to work? Get to work doing the real work of taking up our cross, which has nothing to do with this ridiculous facade of an American holiday. It really is just tinseling over the brokenness and tinseling over the work that we have to do. It's just an excuse for so many people to get drunk, to watch holiday movies, and to forget about the depravity of the world, which is a wicked, terrible world, and to forget about why Jesus actually came, but just to, you know, think some nice thoughts about a baby in a manger. That baby, I mean, heck, that, when that baby came, the collateral damage of that baby coming was lots of other babies dying on the first Christmas. And then that baby grew into a man who was the son of God and was nailed to a tree because of our corruption. And I just don't see what value, actual value, does Christmas bring to any of this. The world is a terrible place, and God is holy, and Christmas doesn't seem to, as most people celebrate it, as most people acknowledge it, as most people think about it, acknowledge any of that. It seems designed to just paper over it. You're right. You win. Here's the thing, though. If I were, if I were addressing you as the actual literal devil, I would say, in winning, you lose. Because what you've done is you've successfully taken away a cheap, false, tinseled-over Christmas from us. And you've given us the pain and the suffering and the brokenness of the world, which is the first step in giving us Christmas back. Because the world is full of that kind of pain and suffering. It is full of children dying because they can't get their next meal. It is full of children who are abused and neglected and abandoned and molested. And it is full of... Uh, people who are depressed and drowning in the bottom of their bottles. And Christmas exists because of those things, not just in spite of them and not just to paper over them. Christmas exists because of those things. If you want to go back and deal with pain and suffering, you brought up the right places to go. The right places to go are to a barn in Bethlehem where a little boy was born and thousands of children were murdered trying to kill him. And you want to follow his life down into Egypt, where he lived in exile, and grow up with him, living in a backwater town where everybody thought he was the bastard son of a carpenter and his immoral mom. And you want to follow his life of suffering and pain while he 
fully fulfilled God's law and everybody around him hated him. You want to follow his life to the very end where the hands that he made to do his work put him to death and the lips that he made to praise him spat on him and mocked him. And then you want to remember Jesus came into the world to save it. He came into the world and the angels over this broken, nasty, horrible world declared peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's what we're celebrating. And that's what all of our lights and our tinsel and our trees and our family gatherings are about and what they ought to be about. If you were the devil, I would thank you. I would thank you. Because what what we need in order to pull out the lights and pull out the eggnog and give our gifts and really have something to celebrate about is to cut through the lies and see the real reason that Jesus came. And marvel over the fact that God was made a man. And this goes back to your first point of boo white boy. <laughs> if there's anything that God, the living God who made heaven and earth, being born as a baby does, is it forces me to laugh at myself and say, boo white boy, <laughs> right? <laughs> Self-pitying piece of garbage, big deal, right? <laughs> like, and to then take myself a little less seriously, take my problems a little less seriously, and take not take the sins and brokenness of this world any less seriously, but realize that I don't have to paper it over with tinsel and wrapping paper. I don't have to to turn up the volume and sing We Wish You a Merry Christmas at 11 in order to drown out the world's problems so that I can, you know, somehow make it. I don't need to, to marathon Hallmark Channel movies. I just need to go and sit in the barn with Jesus for a little bit and follow him to the foot of the cross and then follow him to the tomb and see that he was raised from the dead to redeem me and you and this sinful, fallen, broken world. That's as good an excuse to party as anything. In fact, how can you not? How can you not look at all of this and just think, what an amazing, wonderful, miraculous, show-stopping thing that God has done. There's not enough tinsel in the world to celebrate it. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I know that that sounds cheesy, but it's just true. There's not enough garland. There's not enough holly. There are not enough chintzy blue lights. What can we do? What can we, uh, you know, you know, we're all just the, the stupid little drummer boy. <laughs> I, what, I got no, I have nothing to bring. I'll play my drum, right? And that's all we're trying to do. Uh, that's all we should be trying to do. And yeah, it's going to be twisted and corrupted and perverted every which way, but not for us. We have something to celebrate. And the Christian can look full in the face of his sin and full in the face of the brokenness of this world and then remember Bethlehem and remember the cross and remember the resurrection and find his drum and bang on his drum and throw his tinsel on his trees and rejoice. So if you were the devil, I would say, you killed Christmas. Christmas has a way of rising again. Uh, that was a good speech i don't really i don't really know what what else to say i don't i don't either so all you grinches out there shut up merry christmas listeners merry christmas ben merry Merry christmas Christmas. jake merry Merry Christmas. christmas to everybody may uh 
your Christmas be merry and bright. We mean it sincerely from Sound of Sanity and the whole Warhorn family. We hope you have a great Christmas. We've certainly enjoyed spending time with you this year. We appreciate you spending time with us, and uh, we hope you have a, a very, very merry Christmas. The Sound of Sanity, which is engineered by Benjamin Solisar, produced by Nathan Albertson, executive produced like all fine Warhorn products by Jacob Munzel and Nathan Albertson. Please uh, give us, if you want to give us a nice Christmas present, just rate and review us on your podcast app of choice, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is you use. Give us five stars. Give us a nice review. Say how wonderful we are. And it's still not too late to give us an end-of-year donation to support the work of Warhorn Media as we continue making podcasts for you guys and articles and books and music. Lots of great stuff. Go to warhornmedia.com. There's a big old give button. You can It'll take you to where you can do all the stuff. If you uh, know how to do stuff, you can do that. Hey, folks, thank you once again. Merry Christmas. Thanks for sticking with us this, uh, through this holiday season. And until next time, stay sane. See